Hi guys, welcome back to the final season one episode of the Humanity Unlocked podcast. Today we are celebrating the closing out of season one with a series of clips from each one of our 10 guests who have appeared on the podcast since our launch two months ago. Next week we begin season two and we're starting off with a bang. We're going to be trying out a few new ideas, so please make sure you stay tuned for that. Speaking of staying tuned, if you've enjoyed our first season, I'd love it if you could leave us a five-star rating and a review to let us know what episodes and topics you're loving, as well as any feedback about other topics you'd like to see us cover in season two. I really do welcome your feedback in all areas, so please feel free to share it. Are you guys liking the length of the episodes? Are there other topics you're interested in? I have to say, you know, reading your reviews, DMs, and emails, it really does help me to know what's working and what needs improvement. So thank you for that. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show to be notified about weekly episodes as they launch. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, there's a plus sign next to the follow button in the top right corner of our show page. On Spotify, it's on the left, right beneath the cover photo. Once you hit that button, that follow button, you will be counted as not just a listener, but as a subscriber. And with that, I hope you guys enjoy this quick compilation of all of the highlights from our past two months of the episodes that we've prepared for you. 10 guests and 20 episodes. This is our official wrap on season one. So thanks so much for listening and for subscribing. And we'll see you back here next week for the first episode of season two. Like I had always imagined that it was going to be this kind of gangster lifestyle until it started getting really gangster. Yes. And uh, when you've got a, you know, a Mac 10 in your face, um, things start to change for you, especially when you're in, you know, 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. And so um, I remember having that gun in my face going, what am I doing here? What am I, what, what, what is going on? Like, like, why is this happening? So basically just to paint the picture, there was a drug deal set up for a, a large amount of money, like $3,500 at the time, which was, it's still a lot of money, but back then it was a lot of money. Um, they show up to buy in air quotes, I'm saying the drugs, and they hand you a bag of shredded paper and put a gun in your face. They take off with the drugs and you're on the hook for. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the hook. I'm on the hook. Uh, you know, I'm on the hook for the whole deal, yeah. right? I'm on the hook for the whole deal. And these are individuals that you don't, uh, you, you don't, you don't mess with. Right. And so they're a gang uh, basically, right? Uh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, I mean, they're bigger than that. Cause you were losing your apartment. You had lost your job. You had no options. You couldn't bear to face your grandparents again. Um, knowing everything that you had just gone through again. And so you move out to Sacramento and you're living in the tough shed uh, at your stepdad's apartment. And yeah. why did he have you living in the tough shed? Yeah. Yeah. So this is where, this is where life starts to take off. This is where, um, this is where God comes in. Right? Yeah. Things start turning around a bit. Yeah. Things start, things start changing in life. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've hit rock bottom again, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm losing this apartment. I got to figure out what I'm doing, where I'm going. Um, you know, my employer is not satisfied with me. I'm, I'm in trouble now. Can't, mm -hmm. can't drive company vehicles. Uh, you know, I can't, I'm not an asset to the company because now I, I can't, I can't be, you know, can't be driving company vehicles and such. So, mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty much done. So I've burnt, uh, you know, I've burnt my last bridge here. 
my stepdad had told me, you know, you can come out to Sacramento like there's some, some AA meetings. Your tagline at City of Refuge is return dignity, restore lives, rebuild community. And at the center mm. of everything you do is you create an invitation to return. You have spaces of restoration if they choose. And the way you do this is through monthly dinners or potlucks. You do an ice cream truck outreach. You offer emergency housing. Um, I'm just going down the list. There's a community yes. cafe for them to have a cup of coffee or a snack. You offer laundry and shower day, addiction recovery group, grocery distribution, diaper distribution, and resource hotline. Um, there's also a farm in Vacaville that you partner with, therapeutic services. Mm. The mission really seems to center around hospitality, and in doing so, you're creating community. You're creating dignity. When I think about the word homelessness, which that's what we're talking about today, we, again, our eyes go to a place, and we imagine encampments and garbage and streets. And the multifaceted way that we we see that person um, come through our doors, like when I think about our, our housing program, it's women and children, mm-hmm. right? And so foster, trafficked, abused, those things. Um, at our at our center, that we keep our doors open. Um, we have classes a few days a week where we do shut down and open back at one o'clock, but we merely keep our rocking chairs out. And it's really about creating a hospitable environment. And so those that are on the streets, they know that they can sit in our rocking chairs. They know that they can come for dinner. The evidence is very, very clear that yeah. something is happening and um, yes, you're going in the right direction. Yes. I mean, there, this is there's not just a couple. There's a lot. A lot. A lot, a lot. A lot, a so, lot. I don't lot. know if you want to pick out uh, one. I want to pick out Jedediah because okay. I think I touched on a, a few of the others. Jed was um, had actually um, come out of prison. And when he came out, single father, um, and he very short sentence. I think he was like in there for a year, um, had a history of selling drugs. Um, and again, when you look at his family environment and his grandfather, like a very familiar, grew up in poverty, he gets out of prison and he's like, I'm not going back to that life. I'm a father. So this young man was actually living in an encampment with his two children. Jed has completed so many courses through Kylo. He's gotten certificates. Um, He volunteers at City of Refuge. Um, He's an incredible young man, an incredible dad. And it's like, you want to see... You want to see his son, like, go to college and never become incarcerated? Give a a gangster, give a drug dealer an opportunity to be a father and to do more than survive and to give him the supports and to create bonds with his children that say, you know what, I don't care how little we have, I don't ever want to be apart from you again. And I think it's like not knowing the answers. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, why is my body doing this? Um, it like, is it mold? Is it this? Is it that? Like, there's so many possibilities and there is nobody, you don't have a team. At least Mm -hmm. I didn't. Um, and you're jumping from doctor to doctor. And I'll be honest with you. I've had, I've had now three doctors tell me, I don't know. I think you can, should consult with somebody else because I've done all the things that I was taught to do for this condition and you're not responding. I was basically hoping that if I just if I just let it rest that somehow everything would get better, but I just got worse and worse and worse and I became more dizzy. I was 
very, very symptomatic. I didn't want them to see me like this because I am strong and I am, I could do it all. And I was finding my kids finding me in bed and asking me questions and saying, Mom, are you okay? Um, and I felt like I was losing the control over the situation. I was losing the ability um, to take care of them. I had suffered through like horrible, horrible fatigue. Like my kids were on Zoom and I cannot even tell you how many times like putting my, my twins through kindergarten on Zoom and then having their teacher, I could tell you one moment, their teacher's like, I can't see you, Eric. Okay, can you go get your mom and have her fix her camera? And my son is like, I can't, my mom is sleeping. <laughs> and I almost died. I did not feel well. And mm-hmm. I would go straight to my local bar mm-hmm. after work. Mm-hmm. Like I, I sweats, stomach didn't feel well, heart, you know, wasn't clear thinking. Like it was physically, I physically needed it. So you have the physical addiction. And then for me, I had, it was an emotional, it was a mental, it was, it was yeah. a thinking problem. I was throwing up multiple times a day, violently throwing up to the point I would, my nose would bleed. I would look at myself in the mirror every morning and tell myself that, Michelle, you're, you're killing yourself. You mm-hmm. have to stop. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, I was off work because of my neck. And I, within an hour, I would be drinking again. Mm. That faith has replaced fear. Mm. And it has filled, along with the program, that hole that I kept pouring alcohol into, mm-hmm. it's it's delivered on promises that vodka always made but yeah. never delivered on. The disease wants us alone and eventually dead. The program, it's hard. And, and, and the promises, though, they actually have come true for me. Mm-hmm. And the life that I had hoped for when I say was in early recovery, it – my life has exceeded that in every way. Mm-hmm. I, I am present for my family and I can pause now. And I know that sometimes first thought wrong, second thought wrong, you know, um, I'm a kinder, gentler person. Yeah. And I, when I look in the mirror, I don't see a puffy face and a bloody nose and an out, a, a, a sick alcoholic. I, I see someone that I like Yeah. and that, um, and you're proud of I am and, proud of myself yeah, and I, that's why I want to stay sober again like I just felt that immediate shame you knew something wasn't I right. just knew and it was almost like just immediate instinct to know something was wrong but at such a young age I had no idea what what was going on with young children that age being sexually abused I mean they do comply because they don't know that it's wrong and you know they don't have the capacity to understand you know the function of a body human body so you know, what she's saying is, is that exactly true. Um, you know, there's just, again, too, um, there's a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex that's located behind the forehead. And so that's the last part of the brain that actually matures. Um, so the brain does not fully develop, you know, mature until the, until about like mid to late 20s. Um, so this would explain, you know, why those at a young age, such as Maddie, um, when she experienced her trauma, may have not had realized or been aware that her, you know, her perpetrator was behaving inappropriately. 
I had no idea, even when I was in middle school and things were still going on, I did not know really that it was abusive. Up until eighth grade was when um, we had health for science class, and that's what we had we had learned about sex. Um, and I kind of started to realize that's not normal. If the person's you know having trouble expressing something that's hard to put into words, self-harm for them is the way to be able to do that. They can take their these invisible thoughts that they have or their feelings and make it into something visible. You know, they can change this emotional pain um, into physical pain. You know, having, a, and again, I think this is probably the biggest factor is having a sense of being in control because again, in Maddie's situation, she didn't have control of this. She was so young. It was almost like a drug. It was like, it was a really horrible way of coping, but in my head, I felt like it was the healthiest. And when we talked yesterday, you—it's almost—it's like addicting, right? Like it's, it's very addiction. addicting. It's you when you're going through something so big at such a young age. I feel like you have all of these emotions, and you don't even understand those emotions, and you're trying to make sense of it. And so when you're finally able to make sense of it, it becomes—it becomes like a drug. It's been over a year since I have stopped being self-destructive and engaging in those behaviors and now that school's coming up I'm getting more excited and I'm daydreaming about like what my classes are going to be like what are they going to talk about what things am I going to learn you're going into your senior year right yes so we came to the um emergency room and the the ambulance we like showed up for the ambulance and um I said hi I'm looking for my son he was just taken here and he's like what's your son's name and I said his name's Austin Dubinetsky and he's like um yeah you're gonna need to go into the ER like he didn't want he knew it was bad and he didn't want to tell me first time they took us into like one of the rooms and they said your son has been hit by a car you know, he was on the ground and he was hit. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know the extent of his injuries. I can't really tell you much, but he's in a coma right now. <clears throat> We're, we have to take out his spleen tonight. He might be rushed to emergency, other kind of surgeries for his brain. And I just like, I oh just couldn't God. believe it. Oh you know, gosh. like, I was like, how did this happen? Oh the doctor told me, um, we don't know if he's going to make it. And, um, we don't, you know, we don't know anything at this point. And he's like, and but if he does, you have a long road ahead of you. And I just remember going, I'm his mom. Oh my gosh. I, I will do what anything. Yeah. And people just prayed for my son. And it was so, like, I felt so much love. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When you see strangers yeah. coming to pray for your son. Yeah. Yeah. And um and that night our one of our pastors, Pastor Ben, he prayed these words. He said he he said, God, show your glory. There are too many people watching this for people not to see how you can do a miracle. And that day after that bold prayer, I was like, I had faith. I had faith that God was gonna heal Austin completely. And it's it's truly a miracle. Not a day goes by, not a moment goes by, not a morning. Every morning I'm like so grateful, you mm-hmm. know, like I just thank God. I just talk to him and I'm like, thank you, Lord, you know, for what you did for, for Austin, you know, like I'm just so thankful. So I go in, you know, for that beta and 
of course, I have some incredible friends like, just stay positive, just stay positive. And I'm like, yeah. And of course, I even did like the post into the, you know, CNY groups and the other groups. Like, is it possible to have a pregnancy test that the line's fading, but the beta comes out positive? You know, I mean, I went through every scenario. And of course, there were a couple sleepless nights. And, and people were like, oh, yeah, mine was, mine was, you know. But I had to kind of like get myself psyched up for the fact that it most likely was going to be negative. Oh. It literally took me almost two weeks to kind of like not let the news land, but my body and my emotions to kind of like integrate into that because they give you all the medications for your body to think it's pregnant. Mm. Crying on my yoga mat, getting the infrared sauna in, being out in Mother Nature, you know, I would cry in the car. It it was, you know, just depending on. And then certain things would be triggering. Yeah. I added up over $100,000 in treatment. Over? Yeah. Oh, I said nearly. Yeah. So I would have been able to pay off my student loans by now if I didn't do fertility treatment. And, you know, some people would be like, you're out of your mind. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, yeah, that might be true. Um, But putting a price on, you know, the dream that you have of becoming a mother and having Mm -hmm. a family, most people can tell you there isn't one. You know, making decisions, not too much on emotion, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, where, how far am am I willing to take it? Yeah. It's like, when do you let a dream die? And then I got orders to another base, which is just a natural occurrence in the military. I was enlisted. His dad was enlisted. We move around every three and four years. Yeah. So I get orders to this other base and realize uh, that on paper... His dad is the primary custodian. So he decides where he goes to school and where he lives. And upon receiving these orders and talking to his dad, my son's dad, about it, uh, his dad's like, well, he's staying with me. He's a boy. He should be with his father. And he's just going to stay here with me. So here I am um, trying to go through the legal system. And they don't just change custody. There has to be like a problem. Right. And specifically alcohol abuse or neglect. Yeah. So none of that was happening. Jordan is fine, my son, uh, with his dad, so they don't just change custody. Did I do enough? Mm -hmm. Did I do enough? Did I spend enough time trying to see him? Did I do enough? We always ask ourselves that as parents, right? Am I doing enough? But now's the point where he gets to walk away from this situation. Did I do enough? And for him to be calling me every day and texting me every day is the biggest confirmation I could ever imagine of, yes, I did enough. And all the effort I put in, all the positivity I put in, all of the trips, all of the driving back and forth, all of the phone calls, all of the texts, all of the me trying to show up is what resulted in what we have today. And I remember thinking, my mom can't handle losing another kid. There's no way my mom could handle Mm -hmm. this. But the only words that would come out of my mouth were no. But I meant no, my mom can't. But the only words was no. And so he hit me in the left temple with the gun and I fell down. I couldn't go home. I was Mm -hmm. so afraid. He has my address. He has keys. You know, is he going to come back because I saw his face? And my aunt happens to be a therapist. And I get to her house, 
hand her the check. She takes a look at me, and and I'm completely bruised. Right. Um, my forehead, my eye, my temple. I'm so bruised, and and she's like, "What on earth happened?" And I start telling her what happened, and I just break down. And she's all, "Look at you. She's all, you're crying, but there's no tears." You won't even give yourself permission to cry. And she's like, Tara, I know we've talked about therapy in the past. You have to get into therapy now. Is there any advice or anything you could say to them? Because I know there's people listening who feel like connection to you right now. Yeah. Um, I think just knowing that you matter and, you know, I always knew my abuse didn't define me mm-hmm. and and that was really why I always stayed so positive was that I was so afraid that my circumstances for some people has led them to not thrive and to put themselves in very negative situations into a, their own um, abuse, whether it is alcohol, drugs, homelessness. Mm-hmm. And I always felt that if I went down those routes, then almost the devil wins. Yep. Right? The devil wins, the evil wins. And I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't want to be one of those. I wanted to be always be still successful despite all of that Mm -hmm. and say, you lost. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. still didn't pull me down. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm going to go on and do well and protect my family and make sure that they have a beautiful, wonderful life because then I win. I yearned for something to soothe all of that. I couldn't sleep at night. And drinking was one of the things that I did to be able to sleep. And I found a bum with a bottle and I gave him a couple bucks because he was going to need it when he woke up and I started drinking. I was not even 17. Not even 17. It was a couple months after... Um, I was released and just got to Job Corps. And I had completed a little bit of my high school classes. I really enjoyed the CNA thing. We did the hand washing and the bed making and, you know, um, and but it just all fell apart. I had very little contact with my mom. You know, it, it just kind of thrown out there. And her words were, you know, you make your bed, you lie in it. And that okay. was with a lot of different things, including when, uh, you know, I was on the street in Ogden, Utah now, and I got raped and pregnant. And, you know, her, I called her, I got the courage to call her. And she said, well, you made your bed, you lie in it. And I did. I went full term pregnancy without a single medical visit, without shelter, without food. I gave birth to a daughter who I gave up for adoption. And what was really interesting, Kimberly, is nobody asked me what happened to me. They, they wanted to know what was wrong with me, mm-hmm. but they never asked what happened mm-hmm. to me. And so um, one of my uh, personal missions w- working with the Stop Stigma Sacramento Speakers Bureau is I say just that wherever I go. No one asked me what happened to me. So these behaviors were all a part of abuse, abandonment, emotional neglect, physical neglect, 
living mm-hmm. in poverty, you know, not having a relationship with my father, being a, left alone with my brother who was, you know, beat me on a daily basis, tormented me on a daily basis. And la- later on, he and his friends molested me. And so these things were never discovered. Um, my mother still doesn't know some of these things. But she I, doesn't. I have no fear that she will ever listen to this. And if she did, well, I mean, she would have to deal with those things on her own. Oh, man. And and she had not created a safe environment for you to be able to come to her and tell her these things. Thank you for saying, saying that. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's all for this episode of Humanity Unlocked. Do you have a personal story to share with us? We're all ears. Visit humanityunlockedpodcast.com and send us an inquiry. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please leave us a five-star review and hit subscribe to hear weekly episodes of our show.